Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter, uh, the, the chapter 2. We're going to be looking at a couple of verses there. And actually, what, what I'm doing this morning is um, I want to, to uh, run a... Um, we're really starting next week. We'll be starting a new series uh, out of the book of Daniel. And uh, I'm kind of excited about this, but our, uh, the theme of this is actually Daniel dared to be different, and, and you'll see that kind of, uh, I, I thought this was kind of a neat logo, uh, uh, something I found online, but just uh, that little, little guy in the middle who just kind of stands out and everything else. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know that that is something that we like to see happen. Uh, none of us really likes to stand out. Um, that is something that um, that's something that I think that happens uh, uh, whenever we seem to be standing out. It just kind of, um, we get a little uh, uncomfortable. But uh, I just got to tell you, though, um, let me just step back just for a little bit as you're looking at that, First Peter chapter 2. But I, I just got to tell you that I love the church. I really do. I love the church, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking, certainly, and I'm not just talking about the church. I mean, the church that is not only... Made up, uh, it's made up of all Christians, not just in this town, not just in you know our state or in our country, but all across the world. And we're talking, you know, those people. Actually, the church, the true church, is is it's not just limited to new life, right? We all know that, right? It's not just limited to to uh, you know new life Christian church or Lutherans or whatever. What what the, what we're talking about is is that we understand I think that there's people in all churches who are committed believers in Jesus Christ, and um, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about just that. I'm saying that I love the local church. I love being in this congregation every single week. I love being a part of this, uh, being here every Sunday, and 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 I love to worship with this group of Christians. And uh, I think about my own experience. Susan was talking about you know, uh, our relationship with Christ and when we came. And, and I had kind of, a, I, I, I'm actually not going to get into it very much with you, but I, I had kind of a dramatic, dramatic experience where I, I kind of hit this road where, where I had to make some decisions, and I made a decision for, for Jesus in late uh, August of 1987 and decided to commit my life to, to, to Christ. And, and part of that commitment was that Part of what I decided on that moment from that day forward is that every Sunday morning that I would be, no matter where I happened to be, um, I would be in church with God's family. And since that time, literally there have only been about three Sundays, I can count them on one hand, three Sundays since August of 1987 that I haven't been in church or I haven't been with God's people on Sunday mornings. Now I let me just step back. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything. That's not my point of sharing that. What I really mention that for is really mainly to highlight the fact that I have just found it amazing. I find it amazing to be a disciple of Jesus and to be a worshiper of God. I just find it so incredibly powerful from week to week just to be able to experience that. I love that. And I find it hard to imagine that there are people who don't want that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, but the truth of the matter is that they don't. And, uh, but here's the troubling thing, and I, I looked up some things, and this is, I, I guess what I'm trying to do today is really kind of help you understand the, the thinking that I have as, I, as we move into the book of Daniel, because Daniel has some incredible stuff. I uh, encourage you to take and open your Bibles to, not now, 
open your Bibles up during the week and start reading through the book of Daniel. Um, it's just an incredible book uh, with incredible uh, um, stories in that that, that are, are just, uh, um, I think, challenging for us in, in this theme of daring to be different, daring to, be, to stand out. And, you know, that's the challenge for all of us to be able to say, you know what? I see the hope, I see what God can give me, and I, I, that motivates me, that uh, gives me the courage and the boldness to be able to stand up and say, you know what, this is most important. But um, anyway, the troubling thing is that the mass, vast majority of people are not like us. Even at its very best, you know, if you look at some of the polls, the polls that have been taken in the last 10 years suggest that 4 out of 10 or 40% of all people in the United States go to church on any given Sunday. And, uh, you know, that's talking about with some regularity at least. And that sounds like a pretty good number maybe, I guess, if we think about it. Four out of ten, okay. But then you start looking at the breakdown. And this is, this is the part that, that uh, you know, where you look at some different age categories and, and it starts to look, uh, I think, a little bit grim from there. Because the part that's really troubling to me is that if you're 62 years of age or older, what you find is, is that there's a, the chances of you going to church is really that about 65%. But then if you happen to be in the age category just under that, say 46 to 61, the odds of, uh, of that is uh, that uh, about 35% go to church on any give, given Sunday of any regularity. But then when you back up just one more generation and you come down to those people who are between the ages of 30 and 41, that age group, the number drops down to only 15%. And then when you come to the generation of 16 to 29, that number has fallen to about 4%. Do you see, a, do you see are, are we seeing some kind of a, uh, something happening there? Some, somehow, in the matter of, of three generations, we have moved from 65% down to 4%. You know, 65% of people engaged in some kind of a meaningful worship, some kind of a God-honoring life to play to a place where we come down to about 4% out of 100 choose that for their lifestyle. And see, I, I think this is where it gets interesting because when our younger generation of, um, of people meets a Christian, there are six things. There, how's that? Six things. Six impressions, six words that they use for us, and they are automatic. Automatic. You don't get a chance to prove yourself before they decide this. This is what they have already concluded about us. They would say, for example, that we are hypocritical. We, are, they, we, we say one thing, but we do something else. That's what they would say. Now, they would say that the only thing that we are, this second thing, they would say that the only thing that we are interested in is making them one of us, a churchgoer. Third, they would look at us, and, and their fi first impression would be that we are anti-homosexual. Fourth, they would look at us, and they would say that we are sheltered and naive, that we, you know, we just don't know what's going on in the real world. They would also tell us that we are too political. And then finally and ultimately, they would say that we are judgmental. In other words, that we look down on people, uh, you know, that, you know, 
they're not as good as I am because, you know, they're not religious like us kind of thing. And, you know, if you're like me, I mean, I look at that and I, my, the automatic response is to get kind of defensive and say, no, that's not true. It's not true. We're not like that. Um, there's been some, some, some things and I've read some stuff where people have talked and, and, and you know, they try to go and they defend all of that kind of stuff. And, and the question is, by this one writer, he says, well, what if it's true? Oh, that got me thinking. It's just, okay, what if they're right? What if, what if that is who we are? Would that explain why we've gone from 65% of people to, down to 4% of people who want to go to church because we haven't, li- we haven't lived up to the expectation? That's really what I want to look at kind of, you know, I guess in the next several weeks is not, not to pound on us about statistics and things like that, but to talk about living in a world, living our faith, to live what God wants us to be. I just find myself wanting to know what in the world has caused that, uh, uh, the lack of influence of the church, and I want to ask the question, what in the world is the solution? So I want to point to this text here, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, or chapter 2, and verses 11, 12, it's just a really simple scripture. I just want to use this to set the stage for what we're going to be doing in this series here out of, a Dan, out, out of, out of Daniel, the, uh, you know, Dare to be Different. Um, and, and, and this is a series where we just want to address the qu- uh, question of how we can live lives that uh, ultimately make a difference in the lives of people around us. And so this text in first er, yeah first peter chapter 2 i think it so closely parallels what peter would have heard jesus say in the sermon on the mount you know when when he said that we are the salt we are to be the salt of the earth and in the light of the world and that we don't hide our light under a bushel but uh, we let our light shine before others and when we do that it, it 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 draws people to jesus christ and so peter says in the context of the of the church of this church that's living in a culture that is so radically different, it's so radically against the Christian faith, Peter says in that context to those people of that day, verse number 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now look at this, verse number 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, so that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. So what we are really talking about, what Peter, I think, is driving us to, is that we ought to be living beyond, we ought to be moving beyond mediocrity. It's moving us beyond going halfway in our faith. You know, I got to thinking about this this week. Um, I thought about weddings. Um, I was watching a Hallmark movie. Susan, Susan makes me do that every once in a while, and I, after several several different times of her asking me to do it, I just let her, you know, I just watch it with her, I guess. But anyway, I was doing that, and I said to Susan, but th- this is something, and this is truthful, all kidding aside. I said to Susan, whenever I've performed a wedding, Whenever I've had a wedding and, you know, there's that moment when the bride kind of enters into the, typically it, you, you got the groom up here and, 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 and he's waiting for her and she's kind of behind, you know, the doors are back there. Well, I, I'm thinking about the weddings that I've performed mostly. Actually, I've done some here but um, in town, but I've not had a wedding in this building. But typically you have 
the, the doors in the back and the, the bride is behind the door so that the groom who's looking down can't see it. I'm just telling you, every wedding that I've had, I, it never ceases to amaze me how this happens. As soon as that bride comes and, 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 and shows and, and begins to walk down the aisle and you see her for the first time, it just takes my breath away. I don't know why that, I, it's just, um, maybe it's because I think about my own wedding day and the first time I saw my bride and she's coming. It, it just, to me, and I'm not usually, um, I'm not usually that way, but that just, to, to me, it just is like, wow. And it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. It just, it just takes my breath away. And uh, so I was thinking about weddings anyway, and I thought, you know, what if you get to this wedding and, you, you know, ceremony starts and, and here comes the bride and she comes in, in the door and, and starts to walk down the aisle and everybody stands, of course, and everybody's looking at her and she's just beautiful. And, but she only walks down halfway. She stops midway through and she stops and she says, you know what? This is as far as I'm going to go. If you want me, come get me. <laughs> no, you don't come halfway. I mean, you're either in this thing or you're not. You are, you are, you are either buying into it or you are not. And, and, and that's what Peter, I think, is saying in here. He is saying you are either going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're either going to be a follower of Jesus, or you're going to live your life in such a way that it... Um, you're, you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. You're going to live your way, life in, in such a way that it, it, it looks like a disciple's life or you're not going to. One of the two. You're going to either be a disciple, live like a disciple, like a follower of Jesus, or you're not. There's no halfway and there, it, 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 where you stop and you get off and you say, okay, that's good enough. And, and, and I think that the call, I think that the, the point of this text and the, and the challenge of this text, the call and the challenge of many texts that we're going to be looking at in the book of Daniel is to say, live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Live a life that makes a statement of your faith. Live your life so that it makes a difference because we live in this world that is really attractive and, and will do its best to pull us into it and, and make us more like it. Peter's opening line in here is that we live as aliens and strangers. I, 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 I want to look at that image. I really do. I want to look at that. What does it mean to be an alien in the world? To live as a stranger, to not get seduced by our culture, to, to live in it as if you are just like it. Uh, one of the things that I noticed uh, uh, when I was driving school bus uh, over at Westby is that there's so many, a lot of the students, uh, all my kids on the bus, I mean, just um, missed them. I, I haven't been driving since December, but um, all the kids on my bus, the kids I would talk to and everything else, they're just uh, a, lot of, a lot of students that just, I'm just, I guess, would say that they just don't want to stand out. And then I got to thinking, well, even where my kids go to school, I mean, it's the same thing. Exact same thing. We just don't want to stand out. And then I thought to myself, now, wait a minute. Um, that isn't much different than when I was going to school. I mean, when these kinds of things just happened, I mean, just, I didn't want to stand out. I don't think anybody wanted. And I think it's part of our culture. We just don't want to, to stand out. We don't want to realize, or we don't want to uh, um, 
we don't want to have anybody call attention. We want to look the same as the rest. But I think that that is the lure of the world that, that really draws us in and sucks us in and says, don't look different. Don't be different. And what Peter says in this text is that um, you are an alien in a world that is trying to war against you and, and suck you in. And then at the same time, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to live. I'm calling you to live a life that is attractive, the kind of life that, that when you live, it is so powerful that when people actually see you, it, it, that when they see your life, when they see how you live, because how you live is consistent with what you say, all of a sudden people are drawn to you. But I think more importantly than that, that they are prepared when the Lord comes to welcome him and not be frightened by him. They are ready when he comes to visit, he says. Now the fascinating thing is, is that, well, we're not going to pursue this this morning, but just to set this in its context, Peter immediately begins to set out in, in the rest of the book of 1 Peter the, the kinds of things where we are to live those, those lives. The, uh, let me just give you a couple examples of that. The very first thing that he says is that you're supposed to pay attention to the government and to be good citizens. That's the very next paragraph in, in 1 Peter, uh, starting in, in, in the very next verse. And so he calls us to live in a world and to be involved in our world, but to live like a Christian, to be engaged as much as possible, but not to be too engaged. Um, you know, coming up here in, in, in a couple of weeks is the Iowa caucuses. I know that you guys are all looking forward to that. Um, and then at the week after that is the New Hampshire. That'll be even more exciting, right? Um, but I suspect that we're going to see exactly what we've seen in the past. Um, that is, is that there's going to be some candidates who are parading their spirituality and their religiosity and, and, and try to capture the evangelical block because they know that we like to vote that way. And, but rather than really raising up faith issues and demonstrating what it means to be a Christian in the midst of that, they simply want to use that to get our vote. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe that we as Christians should be evolved and we ought to be active in our system. But not because our faith is trying to produce some particular result, but rather so our faith can be seen in action and we can make a difference. The, the, the next thing that Peter says, he, well, slaves, masters... Uh, you know, we don't have a lot of slaves today or masters today, but we do have, certainly we do have people who work everywhere, or somewhere, I should say. Um, and Peter says, I think that we ought to be the very best employer. We ought to be a great teammate. We ought to be a good, the very best employee that, that, that we could possibly be. Uh, you know, Christians ought to be the most productive in their work, you know, most honest people in the workplace. That's who we are. And yet, I think that that's not the perception that the world has of us. But I think what the world sees are hypocrites. They see people who claim to go to church on Sunday, and yet they take extra time at the break, just like everybody else. They steal just as many pencils, or they lie just as often as their work ethic, um, about their work ethics. And 
And I think that what they are asking is, does it matter to you that you're really a disciple? That if you claim to go to church, that if you claim to be a Christian, that you will live like that. Well, here's the challenge. And, and um, our challenge, I think, is to demonstrate the integrity of our faith because we have, because the world, the world is, in fact, watching us closely to decide whether or not what we say is going to carry over into the way that we behave. So the question is, are you willing to live a life that's different because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? That's really the bottom line, because that's really the call of Scripture. To, to, to be the kind of person who lives in such a way that when, we, when, they, when people look at us, they say to themselves, wow, now that is Christian. That's really Christian. And uh, this is such a, such a challenging um, text, I think. But now we're, uh, we're going to take a look at that through the, the book of Daniel. We're in the midst of, uh, of God's sovereignty, that people live lives that demonstrate that no matter what it costs me, I am going to stand up for God. And if things don't turn out the way that I think that they're supposed to turn out, well, I will be faithful anyway. That's, that's the call. I think that's the challenge, to dare to live lives that are different, so different that people begin to notice. And they look at us, and they have no idea um, how to respond. Just wow, um, because they can't imagine anybody living that way. In the Revolutionary War, a number of Native American tribes sided with the British. Um, the Seneca Indians in uh, northern New York, for example, they were represented by an orator who happened to speak English, and his name was Red Jacket. That was because he had uh, so many British coats that they gave him for being loyal. Well, after the war was over, there was a missionary society out in Boston, Massachusetts, and they made a request that they be allowed to go and that they could preach the gospel to the Seneca people. And, and, and so they appealed to, to Red Jacket himself and um, asked for his permission. And this is his, this is his speech. Uh, it's actually about 12 or 13 paragraphs long. It's really brilliant, a brilliant speech. But I'll just read the next to the last paragraph for you. He says, Brother... We are told that you have been preaching to the white people at this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while. We'll see the effect of your preaching on them. If we find that it does them good, <laughs> if it makes them honest, if it makes them less disposed to cheat Indians, then we will consider letting you come and speak to us an incredible line, isn't it? But I think that that's our challenge um, as Christians in this world, to, to live in such a way that our being different actually makes a difference. Um, not to be different just to be different, but to make a difference. And to strive to make a difference for Christ in the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we, the way that we speak. You know, not saying that we have to be perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. Not saying that we'll never make a mistake ever again, but just simply saying to, just simply to live 
in such a way that the light of Jesus in our life is what people notice. So let me look, close with this. Um, you'll see it up on the screen. It's just, it just comes from the book of Jude, chapter, uh, well, verses, verse 24. There's only one chapter there, verse 24 and 25. Um, read this this week, and it just strikes me as something that would be a great benediction. But um, one of my favorite verses, where he says, To him who is able to call, keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault, and with great joy. He says, To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. I mean, what a, what a powerful thing to, to think about how we might stand before God someday and He looks at us and sees us because of our relationship with Jesus, because of our commitment to Him in this world, that He sees us. Um, in light of who Jesus is. And that's, that's what I look forward to. Um, let's, have, let's end with a word of prayer. Can we pray together? Father, we just thank you for the challenges that you give to us in this life. And, and Father, I, just, I really feel like this is something that, that we, in fact, can look at and we can say to ourselves that, um, yes, we need to not just be different for the sake of being different, but but God, uh, be truly committed to you and, and live in our lives so that it really makes a difference in others' lives. Um, I, I just pray that, I, I guess, coming right down to it, I, I pray, God, that you would help us to be faithful and obedient to you so that others will recognize who you are. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do and how great we are. Or it's not about trying to prove that we have no mistakes or because um, we do. We, we have so many of them. But God, living in such a way that we acknowledge who you are and that we are seeking after you daily. And I pray that you would help us to be bold enough to do that in the midst of a culture that has so many challenges in it, with it. Um, and so we, we offer that to you today, and I pray that, that, that for each of us here today that we would go home today and, and that would really challenge our hearts, that we would be thinking about that this, throughout this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.